Today on the Scott Soap Podcast, we are in our series on the Gospel of John. John writes his gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Enjoy and be challenged by the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. Welcome to Scott's Hill. Those of you watching us online, so glad that you're able to join us. And uh, those of you who may be first-time guests, we're so glad that you are able to join us today. My name is Phil Ortigo. I serve as a senior pastor here. We are honored to have you here. And this last week, we began by spring is in the air, isn't it? Well, I tell you, I love this time of the year. The azaleas are starting to bloom. The pollen is all over everything. And it's that time of year where you start to get out and you begin to do yard work again. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, um, I've got these huge beds in my front yard and in a backyard that need pine straw. And every year it's my job to buy the pine straw, bring it to the house, take it and then put all the straw out in the beds. I'm just way too cheap to pay for anybody to do that for me. I mean, in my mind, anybody can put pine straw down, right? So this year I did it again. I went out this week. My wife was gone um, out of town. And so I thought, well, I'm going to get some pine straw. I'm going to get it all set up for her. I get down there to buy the pine straw. My goodness, it's $6.50 a bale. And I am a cheap person. And so I, I went ahead and I said, okay, I'm going to bite the bullet. I'm going to buy some pine straw. So I loaded 30 of them up in my truck. And so I'm going down the road, only have about two miles to go. And I can't see out my rear view mirror. I can see out my side mirrors. And I'm just going real slow in the left lane. And I look on the side mirror and I see some pine straw on the road behind me. And this lady pulls up next to me. She's going, you're losing your pine straw. I didn't know if she was mad or just sad. And so I looked out and I could see it. I thought, oh my God. Goodness, that's $6.50 a bale. So I hurried up and got home. I unloaded it. I realized I lost two bales of pine straw. I take my rake, throw it in the back of the truck, go on Highway 17 between the traffic. Rake, that's $13 in the road. People driving by must have thought, look at that guy getting some free pine straw. No, I paid for this pine straw. And I put it out, and I am so sore today because I usually just sprinkle it, but I'm so cheap, I got down there, I'm spreading it out just perfectly so I can get every ounce that I can get. But just welcome to spring. I don't even know why I told you that story. It has nothing to do with what I'm talking about this morning. Well, take your Bibles, open to John chapter 10. As we're in the study of the Gospel of John, we're seeing numerous portraits of who the Lord Jesus is. And we want to go back and we want to take a fresh look at what God's word says to us about who Jesus is. And we've been looking at a number of different portraits through this, but now we come to chapter 10, which is a really incredible portrait of the Lord Jesus. When you look at the pages of scripture, one of the vocations that you will see that is common throughout the pages of scripture is that of taking care of sheep. We see it from the very beginning of scriptures all the way to the book of Revelation. You can find that, a, uh, that Abel, one of the sons of Adam and Eve, he was the keeper of flocks. And most people think that he was a shepherd. So the very first vocation we see is that of shepherding. You see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were all shepherds. They took care of sheep. Joseph and, um, and his brothers took care of sheep. Moses, after he left Egypt as a fugitive of the law, ends up in the backside of the desert, and for 40 years, he takes care of sheep. 
And then David, who's one of the greatest kings that Israel has ever known, began his entire life as a shepherd. And Psalm 23 is one of those beautiful psalms that's all about God being our shepherd and we being his sheep. And then when you get to the New Testament, you find the same thing is true. That sheep and the taking care of sheep are very important. These sheep were raised for sacrifices. And Bethlehem was known for raising the lambs that would be the Passover lambs for the sacrifices at Passover every year. It's no wonder that Jesus was born in Bethlehem because as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he happens to be born in a place where the Passover lambs were being raised. And it's not surprising that on his birthday, the only people who showed up to celebrate were shepherds. And we find all through the pages of Scripture the importance of sheep and the care of sheep. Now, when you go to even Israel today, in the Middle East, what you will find is one of the common vocations is still that of shepherding. And when you look at the sheep that are in there, you will find that sheep are being taken care of by one of two kinds of people. There are only two kinds of people that take care of sheep. There's the one person that walks in front of the sheep and he leads the sheep to safety and pasture and well-being. He is called the shepherd, always in the front of the sheep. There's another person that's involved with sheep. He walks behind them. He is always driving them to a particular direction. He is the butcher of the sheep. And he is driving them ultimately to their de destruction. And so you've got either a shepherd or you've got a butcher. And all through the pages of scripture, we can find that leaders demonstrated themselves to either being shepherds or they were the butchers of people. And when we get to John chapter 10, this is the contrast that Jesus is setting up. And he is the shepherd that he's painting a picture of, but the butchers are the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the ones who care nothing about the people, but are just simply using people for their own good and their own well-being. And we can even look at our culture today and we can look at churches around us and even in our churches in America and around the world, there's still two kinds of people who are working with sheep, the shepherds who are leading them and the butchers who are driving them for their own gain. And as we look at John chapter 10, we find one of the most comforting, one of the most encouraging passages and portraits of who Jesus is. He is the good shepherd. Now, John chapter 10 begins with two I am statements. The first I am statement is found in verses seven and nine where Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I'm the door. We're not gonna talk about that this morning because we're gonna save that for when we get to John 14. But the other I am statement, he says beginning in verse 11, and he paints the picture for, of, uh, for us of what the good shepherd is like. Here's how John begins. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. 
just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. There will be one flock and one shepherd. And in verses 17, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down for my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Then in verses 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. He keeps going. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. In this passage, Jesus gives us five pieces of information about who he is as the good shepherd. And I want to show you five things in this passage that bring comfort to us when we think about Jesus being the good shepherd. What does that mean for us? How can we walk in that in comfort and in truth as we're going through our lives even today? So here's what I want to do. I want to show you five of those things. Here's the first thing we see. Jesus is our divine shepherd. This is really incredible. It begins with Jesus is telling us that he is our divine shepherd. Always through the gospel of John, Jesus keeps pointing us back to the reality that he is God. He ends in verse 30 by saying, I and the Father are one. And what we see is a clear picture of his divinity all through the pages of the Gospel of John, but particularly in this place because he is our divine shepherd. Here's how he puts it. He says, I am the good shepherd. Now, when you and I read that, we think, okay, that sounds good. He's the good shepherd. When a Jew heard this, they heard all kinds of pictures and portraits of Almighty God. First of all, he begins with, I am. I am is that tetragrammaton. That was the word that the Jews refused to put any vowels to because it was the name for God. I am that I am. And no one wanted to mispronounce it or take it in vain. So they just didn't add the vowels to it. And when they heard Jesus say, I am, they knew he was saying, I am the same essence as the almighty I am. Am. Then he says, I am the good shepherd. The word good could mean noble, it can mean beautiful, it can mean a good model, but the real meaning of it is nobody's good but God. Remember when a young man came to Jesus and he called him good master and Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And they only use that term to refer to God. So when Jesus says, I am the good, then you saw my God. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, there were many shepherds, human shepherds, but they always identified Almighty God as the shepherd of his people. And so when Jesus says this, he's making a clear declaration that he is God. Now, in the Old Testament, we find many passages dealing with God as the shepherd. For example, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. Beautiful picture that God is our shepherd. We go on in Psalm 95, 7. For he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Again, a picture that God is shepherd. A beautiful picture is Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. 
That's the picture of Almighty God. He is a shepherd and we are the sheep. But then when you go and continue to look in the Old Testament, you find that not only is God called the shepherd, but the Messiah, the one who's coming, is going to be a shepherd to the people, Ezekiel 34. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, which means from the heritage of David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and he and be their shepherd. Micah chapter five, verse four. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord and the majesty of the name of his God. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7a. Awake, O soul, against my shepherd, against the man who stands uh, to me. Awake, O sword, I said also, against my shepherd. This is a picture that Jesus will be attacked um, because of his relation to God as a Messiah. Zechariah chapter 13, verse 7b, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Beautiful pictures all through the Old Testament of God as shepherd as the Messiah shepherd. Then when you get to the New Testament, the picture is that Jesus himself is the shepherd. Matthew chapter 2, verse 6, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who shall, will shepherd my people Israel. Matthew chapter 26, verse 31. Then Jesus said to them, you will all fall away because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. First Peter chapter two, verse 25. For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. First Peter chapter five, verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will. In Revelation chapter 7, verse 17. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. From the beginning of the Old Testament, to the end of the New Testament. The picture is this, Jesus is our divine shepherd. And let me tell you, as a divine shepherd, there's nothing he cannot do for his sheep. As a divine shepherd, there is no valley that they will ever go through that he will not be there to protect them. As a divine shepherd, there is no mountaintop experience that you can ever experience where he is not the one who's brought you to that place. As a divine shepherd, he is the one that sees the end from the beginning. He knows every single need of your life when you need it, and he has done everything you need for life and for godliness. There's no reason ever, ever to fear because your divine shepherd has been from the beginning and will be from eternity future, and he is with you. And Jesus wants his people to know that he is God. The one thing that John is consistent about all through the book of, of the, the gospel of John is that Jesus is God. And we should never, ever forget the fact that he is God. And because he's God, there's nothing he cannot do. The first thing is this. He is our divine shepherd. But here's a second thing. Jesus is our loving shepherd. 
Now, it's one thing for him to be divine. It's another thing for him to be absolutely loving. He tells us how he loves us in verse 11. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, a lot of people, when they think about shepherding, they think about a beautiful life of peace and tranquility and serenity and just an easy, laid-back life. Shepherding is hard business. Shepherding is dealing with sheep. And let me tell you, sheep are dumb. Sheep are defenseless. Sheep need help. And here Jesus is painting the picture that a shepherd has a difficult task. Let me tell you, a shepherd has to deal with the the ignorance of the sheep day to day because they can't feed themselves. But also a shepherd has to walk long distances to bring them to good pastures, to bring them by quiet waters. But a shepherd also has to defend them. There are numerous preys out there. There are thieves and robbers who want to steal the sheep. There are lions. There are bears. There are wolves that are constantly after the sheep. And then this shepherd has to risk his life for his sheep. Now, let me just say there's a difference between risking your life and laying down your life. When you risk your life, you hope that you can at least get out of it alive, right? I'm going to risk my life for this, but I'm I'm hoping I make it through this alive. When you lay down your life, you've already made a commitment that you're not getting out of it alive. And Jesus is saying this, that he has already made a decision that he would lay down his life for his sheep. How many times does he say this in this passage? Five times. Look at verses 14 and 15. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. That's the second time. Look at verses 17 and 18. For this reason, the father loves me because I lay down my life. That's the third time that I might take it up again. No one takes it from me. But again, I lay down it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my father. Listen, Jesus mentions this five times that he lays down his life. Why is that so important for us? Let me give you at least two reasons why it's important. Number one, Jesus fully knew his mission was to die. He knew his mission was to die from the very beginning. He didn't, his mission didn't just go south and he ended up on a cross. He knew from eternity past that when he came, he would die and he would die for you and me. The second thing is this. He knew that he would be a sacrificial death. He says, no one takes my life from me. That's pretty important. Now you might say, well, I bear to differ with that. We see a number of people have been involved in taking his life. Yes, there were people involved in the taking of his life. There were the people who had him arrested. They were certainly involved in that. There were the the, uh, the, the ones who false witness against him. They were involved in that. Pilate was involved in it. The soldiers were involved in it when they beat him. The soldiers were involved in it when they nailed him to the cross. They were all involved in it, but they did not take his life because Jesus submitted to them fully and allowed these evil men to do what they wanted to do, but he was always in control. He laid it down for us. Listen to the thing. He is the good shepherd, but he's also the lamb that comes to die to take away the sins of the world. 
So when Jesus is saying, nobody takes it from me, I lay it down of my own accord. Why? Because of love. Jesus loves the Father first. He says, for this reason the Father loves me, that I lay down my life. His first love is to his Father, and his love is demonstrated by his obedience. And let me just say something. All day long we can tell people we love Jesus, but if we're not obeying him, there's no evidence of that love in our life. Jesus clearly demonstrates a connection between love and obedience. I love my father and I'm going to lay down my life because he's asked me to and I'm going to obey him in all that I do. And so the first person he loves is the father, but the second person he loves is you and me. That he loves his sheep so much that he is willing to come and die not only for us, but instead of us. And that's what he does. And there's no greater love, John 15, no greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. I'm going to tell you, Jesus loves you so much that he didn't just look for his own well-being. He came to die for you. And there's no greater love than that, that he would lay down his life for you and instead of you. But the hard hands don't do this. He gives a contrast right now, and here's what he says. He says, he is a hard hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep, who sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hard hand, and he cares nothing for the sheep. He's speaking of the religious leaders. The religious leaders in that day cared nothing for the sheep. All they did was they used the people for their own gain. They used the people for their own self-righteousness. They used all the people of the culture so that they could accomplish the things that they wanted to achieve. And there was no love for them. They were just simply spiritual mercenaries who were going after the people. And it was the same in the early church. Paul writes about this. As he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem, he calls the Ephesian elders together and he says this to them in Acts chapter 20. He says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away disciples after them. Every pastor is to model the the. the, the shepherding of the Lord Jesus. We are his under shepherds. We are to be like him. And when false shepherds come into the life of a church, you can always detect them because they're always after their own career. They're after their own gain. They're after their own well-being. And people in the congregation just simply begin to be tools to fulfill their own self-righteousness and self-desires and their own passions. We're living in a culture today where there are many wolves that are leading a number of churches. This past week I read about an international pastor who is well known all over the world, who has a global ministry and church plants on all the continents. He had to step down. He stepped down because of allegations that he was protecting his father with some sexual abuse from the past, but he had to step down this week because it came to be known that he got drunk, went into a woman's hotel room, had sexual intercourse with her and was caught and they asked him to step down. You know what his excuse was? He said, I was drunker than I should have been. What does it even mean? 
I was drunker than I should have been. Should you even be drunk at all? I, I, I killed more people than I should have killed. You know, I stole more than I should have stolen. But anyway, he stepped down. But not only did he have to step down, just this Thursday, one of his church planners in Dallas, Texas, had to step down because he was accused of raping a co-worker. And what we're seeing, not just only in that ministry, but across the board, there are false shepherds that are coming into the life of many churches and they're using the people for their own good. Why am I even sharing this with you? Because here's why I'm sharing with you. Some of you may have been hurt by a pastor in the past. Some of you may have even been abused by a pastor. Maybe there have been um, unnecessary power or influence used. And let me say why those things are real and they can hurt you. The good shepherd will never do that to you. The Lord Jesus will never do that to you. Because he has already done everything you need him to do. He came in the flesh. He died. He rose from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And today he is here for you. And let me just say this. The pastors on staff at Scotts Hill, we're committed to following the model of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're committed to holding each other accountable. We're committed for your good. But I will tell you this. Have there been times where you felt like you needed one of us and we've not been there? Have there been times where you felt like, you know what, I feel like the hired hands have run away and I've had to deal with this on my own. Let me say, that is never our intention. We never want to let you down, but we will let people down. But we will not let people down in the sense of using our power or using our influence or using our position for our gain. It will always be for your good. And we're committed to that. But in the midst of all of that, listen, there's a shepherd who loves you more than anyone else can. And he will never let you down. He will never run away. He will never leave you as an orphan. That good shepherd is always present. Here's a third thing. Jesus is our intimate shepherd. He is our divine shepherd. He is our loving shepherd, but he is an intimate shepherd. Now, the intimacy means that he knows us better than anybody else does. In verse 14, John says, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. The word there in the Greek for know is a very, very intimate word. It is always used in the sense of a man knowing his wife in a sexually intimate way. Or two friends who are very intimate in a wholesome relationship who know each other. Or in the picture that God knows you and you know God. It is a picture of incredible intimacy. It's a picture that says you really know each other. Now Jesus is saying this, I know my sheep. In these days, when there were shepherds that would get together many times, they'd have to get together at night to protect their sheep. The thieves and the, and the robbers were out there. So they would take all their sheep together, combine them together, put them in a sheep pen, and all of the shepherds would hang out outside of the sheep pen. There would be a door, an opening. There would always be one shepherd guarding that door. And all these sheep would mingle together all night. The shepherds would mingle together and they would sleep. And in the morning... 
Here's what would happen. The shepherd would get up and it's time for his flock to come. He would stand at the gate, the doorway of the sheep pen, and he would begin to call out to his sheep. And instantly, every sheep that was in his flock knew him. They knew his voice. They knew his tone. They knew his pronunciation of words. They knew how he would carry himself. They knew the inflections of his voice. And he knew them. Shepherds would often name their sheep. They would call their sheep by name. And these sheep would come out. You know, hey, come here, Billy. Come here, Bob. Come here, Jezebel. I don't know what they'd call them. But all of these sheep would come out. And they knew their shepherd. And they were intimately known. Jesus goes on. In verses three and following, he says the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name. He leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. And then in verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. You see, there's this mutual knowledge and the good shepherd knows every single sheep. He knows your name. He knows your personality traits. He knows how you're wired. He knows the propensities and the temptations of your own life. He knows your strengths. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your struggles. He knows your doubts. He knows your questions. There's nothing that the good shepherd doesn't know about you. He knows your tomorrow. He knows your eternity. And this good shepherd not only is the one who's a divine shepherd, he's not only the one who died for you, but there's no one who knows you like he does. No one. And his desire is to be so intimate with you that there's never a moment when you do not know his voice. Now listen to me, that intimacy is two ways. Jesus has done everything necessary for that relationship between you and him. But the question is this, are you pursuing him as much as he's pursued you? Do you know him? Do you know his voice so clearly that when he speaks, you would know who it is and it's not some false voice coming from someone who wants to deceive you? but it's coming from your shepherd. Do you know his ways so much that if he asked you to do something, it would never be a question because you know that's the heart of Jesus. Do you know his word in such detail that whatever he says, you can trust it because it's coming from him. And one of the greatest problems that we sheep get into is that we are not continuing to grow in our intimacy with the shepherd. And as a result, there are all kinds of false voices that are coming into our heads, that are filling our lives. And you know what we do sometimes? We confuse those voices with what we think Jesus would say. And we make decisions that have devastating consequences. Or we justify our decisions. I'm free to step out of this relationship because I think Jesus wants me to be happy. I'm free to make this choice with my finances because I think Jesus wants me to be prosperous. I'm free to do all of these things 
because I think this and this and this. And the truth is, many times it's not from the voice of Jesus. It's from the voice of the enemy or the culture. And what we think is to be him is not. And the consequences of our lives began to bring us to a place of devastation. You see, the truth is, your good shepherd knows you. He wants you to know him. To the degree that any time he speaks, you hear, you discern it, and you follow. And you go where he leads. You see, our good shepherd is our divine shepherd. He is a loving shepherd. He is an intimate shepherd. But here's the fourth thing that Jesus tells us, that Jesus is our unifying shepherd. I love this one. He unifies the flock. Look at verse 16. He says, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. I love that phrase, one flock. One shepherd. When Jesus says this, the Pharisees are outraged. What? You're telling me that there are going to be Gentiles among us? The Pharisees and the Jewish people had this exclusive club of us four and no more. It would not be open to Gentiles. Oh, if you want to be a, a convert, it's going to cost you a lot of money and a lot of years in training. And you got to do things our way. But we do not want to bring Gentiles in. And what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, listen, as a good shepherd, there are many sheep that are not yet part of this fold. He's speaking about the days to come. On the day of Pentecost, you know what happens on that day? There are Jews who come to faith in Christ. There are Gentiles who come to faith in Christ. There are Egyptians who come to faith in Christ. There are Arabs who come to faith in Christ. And you're beginning to see this, this whole culture being brought into a relationship with Jesus in one flock. And what we see is a beautiful picture of Jesus going beyond the boundaries of cultures and the boundaries of countries and ideologies. Jesus is impacting people regardless of the skin color, regardless of their heritage, regardless of the socioeconomic status. Jesus is bringing people into the fold and he's going to continue to do that until time is done. And his goal is one flock and one shepherd. The apostle Paul speaks about this in Ephesians. He says, therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles, that's all of us in the flesh, were at times separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Then he goes on. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made both us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body 
through the cross. Therefore, by killing the hostility. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. What is he saying? He's speaking to these Ephesians who are Gentiles. He's saying, you too are part of the family of God. And in that day, the Gentiles and the Jews, there was this dividing wall of hostility. There were these ideologies and they kept speaking against one another. And then Jesus says, no, by the cross, I've destroyed every bit of that. From now on, there is no race except for the human race. There are no socioeconomic divisions between us. Their ideologies must all be put down. In Christ, we are one. And here's the thing. Church, we got to fight for that. We got to fight for that. In the body of Christ, it matters not the color of your skin. In the body of Christ, it matters not your heritage. In the body of Christ, it matters not how much money you have, how much education you have. In the body of Christ, it matters not what your past was like. We are one in Christ. And when the ideologies of our culture come along and they undermine the very basic teaching of the gospel, we must fight against it. Critical race theory is one of the greatest underminers of the truth of the gospel of any ideology being taught today because it is seeking to divide people and tear people apart based upon their heritage and their skin color. It goes against the message of the gospel. And we are to fight for unity. Now, let me say something. Let me say something. Some people can say, oh, he threw a critical race theory in there. That's our rallying cry. Let's stand against it. No, it's not. So what are you going to do about it? Are you really going to love people who are different than you? Are you really going to see people who are in Christ that may think differently than you unified? Are you going to seek to bring people together with the cause of the gospel than rather taking the little things that we may differ on and create disunity and division among the bride of Christ? It's much more than just shouting an amen. Here's what it is. It's carrying what Jesus said we are to be with one another and with the culture. And we embrace one another because of Jesus and what he has done. You see, his heart is to unify one flock, one shepherd to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the last thing he says. I love this one the most. He is our faithful shepherd. He's our faithful shepherd. Now, he demonstrates himself to be faithful. And in this, he tells us so. We see in verse 28, he says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. And he keeps going. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my father's hand. I and the Father are one. Here's what's incredible about this. Remember when Jesus says, nobody takes my life, I lay it down? That was emphatic. Here he's saying, not only will nobody take my life, nobody will take my sheep. Nobody. Jesus not only is faithful to our last breath, but in Christ he is faithful beyond our last breath. And he's faithful all the way into eternity. He says, no one can take my sheep 
out of my hand. Now, if Jesus has overcome death, he's overcome the grave, he's overcome Satan, he's overcome all the powers of the world and the universe, tell me, who can take you out of his hand? No one. If God is for us, who can be what? No one. If you're in Christ and you have genuinely been saved, you are in his hand and no one is able to take you away. Your good shepherd has you right here. And there's no foe. There's no difficulty. There's no struggle. There's no depression. There's nothing that can ever snatch you from the father's hand or the son's hand. But it gets even better. He says, not only are they in my hand, they're in my father's hand. And if Jesus is great and nobody can take you out of his hand, he says the father is greater and no one can snatch you out of his hand. Now you might be saying, okay, now wait, help me with the picture here. I'm in Jesus' hand, I'm in the father's hand. How can that be? Let me give you what the picture looks like. The picture is like a handshake. Jesus has got you. The father has you. Now, why is it a handshake? Oh, because the Father has given you to Jesus as a gift. He says, all that the Father has given to me. If you're in Christ, you've been chosen from the foundations of the world. And the Father has taken you and he has handed you into the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there both of them are holding you. And every person who's a child of God, listen to me, every person who's a child of God is a gift to Jesus from the Father. We often like to talk about the fact that Jesus is our gift. He is. Paul says he's an indescribable gift. But so are you. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are his gift. And what does that do for you? That tells me that God would give me to his son and he would hand me into his hand and he would hold me for all of eternity and I am secure? Yes. Yes. He is your divine shepherd. There's nothing he cannot do. He is your loving shepherd. There's nothing for you he hasn't done. He is your intimate shepherd. There's nothing about you he doesn't know. He is your unifying shepherd. He wants you to be one flock in one shepherd. And he is your faithful shepherd. He will never ever let you go. Some of you are going through tough times right now. Some of you in lonely places. Some of you in places of brokenness. Some of you are in places of hopelessness. Some of you feel that your world is crashing in on you, but your good shepherd knows every bit of it. The Lord is your shepherd. You shall not want. He makes you lie down in green pastures. He leads you beside quiet waters. He restores your soul. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, fear no evil. He's with you. His rod and his staff, they comfort you. 
He prepares a table before you and the presence of your enemies. He anoints your head with oil. Your cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life and you will dwell in the house of the Lord. How long? Forever. He is your good shepherd. Here's the question that I had to ask myself this week. What kind of sheep am I? What kind of sheep am I? Sometimes I'm the stupidest sheep. Sometimes I'm fearful. Sometimes I'm anxious. Sometimes I'm not trusting. Sometimes I'm questioning. And he knows that. But am I going to trust him? Am I going to praise him? Knowing that he holds me fast. And no matter where I go, he's already been. No matter what I need, he has already provided it. And no matter what my future seems to be, he already knows it. He is your good shepherd. Trust him. Lean into him. Learn him. Follow him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you, Father, for the reminder this morning of the good shepherd that we have in Jesus. And Father, would you challenge each heart here as we've asked that question, what kind of sheep am I? Father, we know what we are. You know what we are. Father, we know what we desire to be. And Father, may we trust you and know that you never let us go. Never let us go. And that we can trust you in the midst of a storm. We can trust you in the midst of joy. We can trust you in the midst of difficulties. But Father, wherever we go, may the cry of our heart to be to follow our shepherd. Thank you, Father, for your constant love for us. And Father, if there are those here this morning who are without Christ, I pray, Father, that today that they would come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that they would choose to follow him this day. And Father, their lives would never be the same. Father, as we stand to sing in a moment, would you just encourage our hearts with what we sing? And may you remind us of the truth of who we are and who you are. And that, Father, our lives would be filled with the absolute confidence that Jesus is our good shepherd. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. And we hope that God uses this message in you to transform you more into the image of Christ. If you have any questions about our church or you want to learn more about Jesus, visit our website at scottsill.org slash next steps. Till next time.